finish it tonight. We'll see. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we will start with verse number 14. Revelation 3, beginning with verse 14. Jesus speaking to the Apostle John says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, before I even go any farther, I do want to just point something out to you. I have not pointed out before and don't want to spend a lot of time there, but I would ask that you notice in verse 18, Remember that Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to a church. And I find it interesting that he doesn't say, I command thee. And I think, Brother Nelson, that Jesus realized they weren't paying any attention to his command. And adding yet another command to the long list wasn't going to change anything. So he just said, I want to give you a little counsel. In other words, you can take it or leave it. This is my advice to you. The choice is yours. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man, hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so tonight, this is part five 
our study, Lessons from the Seven Churches, uh, or part five, actually, of our study of Laodicea. I have no idea what number this is in the overall study, uh, but it's quite a few. But we're going to take our fifth week here of dealing with just this church, the church that Jesus called the Church of the Laodiceans. And we pointed out the significance of that. I want to ask you to put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. I am in need of the Lord's strength again tonight. I know that He is able. Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody. Let's ask Him for His help tonight. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, could we worship him one more time, everybody, before you're seated, would you just offer God some praise here tonight? Hallelujah, 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 amen, you may be seated. I will try to go through the review as quickly as I can tonight so that we can get into some new territory because we do have some things to talk about that um, I feel like are important. And so we're going to try to get there tonight. Just a reminder, and again, I do this because some of the things we're going to talk about tonight are better understood when you remember these facts about the city and people of Laodicea. Laodicea in John's day was a well-known city, and it was known for its wealth. It was the center of commerce. It was an agricultural center. It was a medicinal center. Laodicea had a lot going for it. The one real problem in Laodicea was their lack of water. And so they had water piped into them. Um, on one side of Laodicea was the city of Hierapolis. It was known for its hot springs. People would come and bathe, expecting to find healing for various ailments. And on the other side was the city of Colossae. It was known for its sparkling, clear, and cold water. People sought after to refresh themselves. Laodicea would pipe this water in, and some historians believe that they brought it in from both sides and it would commingle. 
by the time that it came to the people of Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Now, the name Laodicea means people's rights or the judgment of the people. We've talked about this, that this was a church that evidently was run by the people. There, there was uh, not a willingness among the people to follow spiritual leadership. But they wanted to govern the church. And of course it led them into the worst spiritual condition of any of the seven churches Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation. No other church received a letter as harsh as this one. In every other letter, the Lord at least found something to commend. But in Laodicea, there was absolutely nothing commendable about the church. Now that's a sad state of affairs. For a church to find itself in. That God has nothing good to say. I wonder today how many churches would fall into that category. And that's not a statement of judgment. It's a statement of honest question. I wonder how many would find themselves in the same condition as Laodicea and that God could not find anything good for which to commend them. In fact, God was so upset with Laodicea that He spoke of spewing them out of His mouth and the word there in the original means to vomit. God said to Laodicea, you make me sick. This is, this is rough language. You understand, even, even to the Pharisees, he, he called them whited sepulchers, he, he, he called them vipers, he, there were a lot of things he said. But to tell a group of people, you make me sick. But that's what he said to Laodicea. As we begin to examine the letter itself over these last several lessons, we witnessed how the Lord identified Himself as the letter opened. He said, I'm the Amen, which means so be it. He's saying to them, everything that I say will come to pass. He identified Himself as the faithful and true witness, letting them know that my testimony is accurate. The way you see yourself is not. And then he said he was the beginning of the creation of God, indicating that he was the creator of all things. And he should be their source of help. But whether they sought him for help or not, as the creator, he was also the judge. Now, as I mentioned a little while ago, this letter contains only correction. There is no commendation. 
There is a correction and there is an offered cure if they're willing to accept it. Which says to me that God still loved Laodicea. Even though they made him sick, he still loved them. He would never have written to them had he not wanted to see them changed. He wanted to bring about repentance in them. Now, we talked about in our last lesson the reason why they had become lukewarm. The cause of this situation was clearly spelled out. It was because they thought more highly of themselves than they ought. They were filled with a spiritual pride. It was a pride that filled the people of Laodicea and it bled over into the church. They became a very proud and a haughty people. If you notice the wording that Jesus used, you say that you need nothing. Jesus, Jesus doesn't speak lightly. When He said of them that their attitude was they needed nothing, you understand that meant they didn't need God either. They were able to do it without His help. They knew how to conduct, how to conduct a church service. They knew how to sing the right songs. They knew how to clap on the right beat. No doubt they knew when to run. They knew when to say amen. They had the motions down properly. But their heart was far from God. They had everything they needed in the physical sense. They were a wealthy people. They had everything they needed in the physical sense. But when Jesus described them in the spiritual, they didn't have anything at all. They were wretched, blind, and poor, and naked. They had absolutely nothing. That's the way God see, saw them. Quite a contrast from the way they saw themselves. And as I pointed out in the conclusion of our last lesson, we need to be careful that we allow God to describe us, that we don't determine our own uh, condition. We need to let the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the man of God explain to us how we really are. Because God's perspective is almost always different than ours. Very rarely do we see things the way God sees them. And never can we completely see them the way God sees them. We might see a perspective. We might see one little angle of what God sees. But we can never see the full spectrum. And so let's, let's talk about the cure. Because God didn't just diagnose the problem. He didn't just tell them what the cause is. 
He offered them a cure, and this is where we begin tonight. So if you'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, let's start here in verses 18 and 19. And we're going to keep coming back to this for a little while because I want to, there's so much in, especially in verse 18, so much here that we'll have to come back to. But I want to remind you of what the Lord said. Revelation 3, verses 18 and 19. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that, they, that thou mayest see. So, so right here, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, read, read verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. So what we see in verse 18, we see three specific things that God tells them they need to do. They need to buy something. They need to be clothed properly. And they need to anoint themselves. These are three things he says. Now let's talk about these things. What did he say that they needed to buy? Well, first of all, he said, buy of me gold. Then he says, buy white raiment. And then he says, anoint your eyes with eye salve. It's very possible that these three things make direct reference to the three main sources of wealth in Laodicea. Let's think about it for a moment. The three main sources of wealth were the financial center, banking, and Jesus says, buy gold. Second was their textile industry. They were very famous for a particular kind of wool. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But that was one of the main things that they produced in Laodicea. And he says, I want you to buy raiments from me. He addresses their textile industry. And then the third thing was their medicinal industry. And what does he say? Anoint your eyes with eye salve. So I'm telling you, Jesus is directly addressing everything that goes to the heart of who Laodicea is and what is most important to them as a people. I'm telling you, he knows how to lay his finger on the most important things in our lives. Now, now think about it, church. Think about it. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, Take thy son, thine only son. Read it. That's exactly the way he said it. Take thy son, thine only son. Now, you know, Abraham had another son, but not one that God recognized. 
this son was the promised son. And this son was the son in which Abraham put all of his hopes. Isaac was the son of promise. You know, there are a number of theologians, including Jewish historians and scholars, who believe that when this took place and Abraham was told to offer Isaac, Isaac may have been at the very least in his mid-teens and very possibly as old as 30. Now think about that. If that's true, what that means is God didn't talk to Abraham from the time of Isaac's birth until he said, go take him and offer him to me. Is it possible that Abraham got so wrapped up in this child We don't read of him building altars during that time. I wonder if, if Isaac had become so important to Abraham that it was affecting his relationship with God. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just throwing that out there for you to think about. But it would make sense to me that this would be the case since God addressed it in this light. Take your son, your only son. What I want to know is who do you love more, Abraham? Me or Isaac? Which one is more important? You say, would God really do that? Well, let me ask you a question. Did God ever say to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? I believe that's something that the Lord may ask each of us at some point in our life if we're not careful. God may lay His hand on something we know is extremely valuable to us and say, do you love me more or do you love this more? Oh, it's quiet tonight. I think that's what's going on as the Lord begins to say to Laodicea, buy gold. Buy white raiments. Anoint your eyes. He is taking the things that mean the most to the Laodiceans and saying what you're producing is not getting the job done. You're so wrapped up in the physical aspects of your finances and your textiles and your medicine that you've forgotten about how important I should be in your life. First of all, let's talk about buying gold. 
obviously he's emphasizing spiritual wealth over carnal wealth. But I want you to think about some things for just a few moments. Gold is not something you can just create. Now, those who mine gold, they've got to work for it. They've got to go find it, but they can't create it. And for most people in the world, the only way you can obtain gold is to purchase it. It's going to cost you something. And he's saying to Laodicea, Buy from me gold. Not just any gold, but gold tried in the fire. Are you familiar with gold at all? I remember many, many years ago, um, in fact, if I've got my dates right, it was 1969. The reason why that stands out, if I'm not mistaken, and, and somebody here can correct me, that was the year man walked on the moon, right? Was that 1969? Okay. I remember that because my family was not in church. We were on vacation in Denver, Colorado, visiting an aunt, and we watched the landing and, and the first step on the moon while we were in Denver. So that's why I remember the date, all right? It was 1969. I was nine years old. My aunt had somehow gotten a hold of some gold ore, and she wanted to show us that the only way to get the gold out of this ore is through fire. And she took it and put it in a big pan and put it on the gas stove and turned up the heat as high as it would go. And she starts trying to heat this up to try to get rid of all the ore and get the gold out of there. And she could never get it hot enough to, to accomplish what she wanted that way, but she thought she could. Um, but I remember, I remember her doing that. I remember the impression it made on me as a young boy. And I've never forgotten it. And I've come to understand that pure gold must be put through the fire. And the more it's put through the fire, and the hotter the heat, the more pure the gold is. Now, I don't know if you're making the connection tonight. I have no idea if you're grasping what I'm trying to tell you. But God says to Laodicea, you've got all this earthly gold. But my counsel to you is, buy gold from me that's been tried in the fire. You live such a life of comfort, such a life of ease, you have no problems, you think. I'm here to tell you, you need to be willing to let me put you through the fire. See, gold has always been a symbol of deity. 
Now again, I got into some things on Sunday morning. I told you I'm going to be teaching more in-depth. Lord willing, if I finish this lesson tonight, I will, I will come back um, next week, Lord willing, and start into that series. We'll explain some of these things. But for right now, I want, I want to just show you gold always throughout the Scripture represented God's deity. And that's why he told the Israelites to take gold from the Egyptians when they left. Not for them to wear it, but because he wanted it in the tabernacle as a symbol of his presence. And God had furniture made that was either made of pure gold or it was wood overlaid with gold. Now, the kind of wood that he told them to use was acacia wood. Acacia wood did not deteriorate. Wood is a symbol of humanity. All right, at some point I've got to teach a lesson. I've got to teach a lesson on the tabernacle. At some point I'll just, but it won't just be one lesson, I promise you. It'll be a series. There's so much in that. But, but when you understand the tabernacle in, in and of itself was really a symbol of Jesus Christ. It was a type of Christ. And so you take this wood that, that did not rot and you cover it with gold. The one thing the Bible says about the body of Jesus is that the Lord would not allow His body to suffer corruption. He was in the grave three days, but he never started to deteriorate. That's why they used acacia wood. It was representative of the humanity of Christ. But we've got to remember that his humanity alone is not what made him who he was. There was another element, and that was the gold. And so the Ark of the Covenant was wood overlaid with gold. But the mercy seat that sat on the top of that ark didn't have any wood in it. It was one solid piece of pure gold that had been beaten into shape. Jesus is our mercy seat. And you know when that priest went in, I'm going to end up teaching on the tabernacle tonight and not on Laodicea. When the priest went into that most holy place with that blood, you know where he put it? He put it on the mercy seat. Yes, sir. Well, praise God. Jesus was the mercy seat. He was the mercy seat. So much of, so much of the tabernacle, so much of the tabernacle. It was a beautiful place on the inside. I'm telling you, all of that acacia wood, but it was all covered with gold. All of the pillars that were on the inside, they were covered with gold. You walk in, you see your reflection. And it better be a pure reflection. That's why they had to stop by the laver before they ever went in there. They had to make sure they were clean. When they walked in, they're going to see this reflection all around them. And on the inside was the table of showbread. Bread. Jesus said, I am the bread mm -hmm. of life. There was the 
candlestick, the golden candlestick. Again, one solid piece of gold beaten into shape, but giving light because Jesus is the light of the world. I could go on and on and on. So much, so much that represents him in all of this. Even the things inside that ark. That I can't, I can't, I gotta, I gotta move on. So, so gold, gold was a symbol of deity. And this is why God didn't want his people wearing it. Because to do so, when God puts a meaning behind a symbol, then that meaning sticks. And if God says gold represents deity, when you take that gold and put it on your flesh, you are deifying your flesh. Now the wood that represented the flesh of Christ, we can put gold on that. But not on our flesh. And listen, this is the reason why when Moses came down from the mount, these, these Israelites had taken this gold and they had kept some of it back and fashioned earrings and necklaces and bracelets. And then they come and they take those pieces of jewelry and melt them down and make a golden calf. An idol to worship. Moses comes down. He sees them dancing around this idol. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember the instruction that he gave them concerning the idol? It wasn't, let's just smash this idol. Exodus 32 verse 20, read. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder. And now, he burned it in the fire and then he... Ground, ground it to powder. And strawed it upon the water. Strawed it upon the water. And made the children of Israel to drink of it. Well, now why would he want them to drink this water laced with gold? He's making a statement to them. God wants the deity on the inside of us. Not on the outside. Hallelujah. God wants that deity, that divinity, to be inside of us, not outside. I heard a man say one time, he said a woman walked by him, she was decked out in gold. From head to toe. She had all kinds of gold all over her. And he said, I wasn't even thinking about it. But he said, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And said, the more person, the more, I'm sorry, the more gold a person has on the inside, the less they want to display it on the outside. 
the more gold they display on the outside, the less gold they have on the inside. I can tell you where I want the gold to be in my life. I want it to be on the inside. I want it to be on the inside. Well, hallelujah. I'll get into all this. As I said, I'll explain it all. I'll, I'll give you plenty of scripture when that time comes. I think you all know me well enough to know that I don't just get up and say this is what we're doing because I said so. But I give you scripture for everything we do. But let me just give you one to chew on until that lesson comes. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corrupt, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God of great price. We're talking about having the gold on the inside. You want to know what kind of ornaments God wants us wearing? The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. He wants gold on the inside of us. Now, the second thing that the Lord told Laodicea to buy, he said, buy white raiment. Let's read Revelation 3.18 again. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, uh-huh. that thou mayest be rich. Now, now, again, he says, if you'll get this kind of gold, you'll be rich. You think you're rich now. But if you'll get this kind of gold, you will be rich. There used to be a song that was popular when I was young in the church. I'm a poor rich man. I'm a poor rich man. Hallelujah. I don't have this world's goods. But I'm a millionaire in spiritual things. So he said, buy gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And then what? And white raiment. And white raiment. Everyone say white raiment. That thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Uh huh. And, and then we'll, we'll talk eyes. about anointing your eyes in just a minute. We'll come back and we'll, we'll deal with this. But let me let me tell you something about Laodicea that I, for whatever reason, I have not included this in any of the notes. And we've talked about the city and where it was, and I don't think I've even mentioned any of this. And so let me let me tell you something else, a little piece of information that I think is important, and that is that, that this, this area around Laodicea, it was, it was a valley, though it didn't have water sources of its own, as I said, they had aqueducts, they had methods of irrigation, but there was a very fertile valley around them, and the valley was extremely conducive for grazing sheep. Now, Laodicea had perfected this this raising of sheep of a particular kind. They bred the sheep to produce this very soft and very glossy black wool. Now, think about this. This black 
wool that was soft and glossy. You know, it was, it was the Corinthian leather. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Is that Corinthian leather? It was the Corinthian leather of their day. If you could get that Laodicean black wool, garments made out of that, that was the symbol of aristocracy. The symbol of wealth to wear these black, soft, glossy garments made from the sheep in Laodicea. And Jesus says to them, let me tell you what you need to buy. Instead of those black robes you're so proud of, you need to buy white robes. Because really your black robes aren't even covering you. They're leaving you naked. You're exposing your shame to the whole world. Listen, church, I'm just telling you, I'm not exaggerating. This is the tone with which the Lord wrote this letter. If I understand anything at all about this letter, this is the way he wrote it. You think you've got something to be proud of with your black garments, but I'm telling you, they're exposing your shame to all the world. What you really need is you need some white garments that you can only get from me. You can't create them. You can't breed sheep in a way to get the kind of garments I want to give you. You got to get these from me. And if you don't, you're exposed to the world for what you really are. Now listen, the, the point of this, the point of this is that nothing is hidden to God. Luke chapter 12, verse 2. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. And nothing is hid that shall not be You don't hide things from God. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. And he is going to bring to light the hidden He's going to make manifest the counsels of the heart. You know, many years ago, my pastor, and I've told you, my pastor was so straightforward. You know, you never had to wonder what he was thinking. You never had to guess. He never did anything by hints and implications. He just said it. And if you didn't like it, that was your problem. That's just the way he was. It was just the kind of man he was. He had a woman show up at his church one night. She'd never been there before. And she'd evidently been to several churches. She just kind of floated around, went to different churches. 
for a period of time, and then she'd find another church and land there for a while, and this just went on and went on, and she showed up at our home church, and she came once or twice, I guess, and at some point she went to my pastor, and she said, I need to talk to you. He said, okay. She said, I had a dream that really bothered me, and he said, oh, now anytime you spoke of a dream, his ears would perk up, because he was a man that God gave him a lot of dreams, and he had a lot of faith in dreams. And so this woman said she had a dream. Well, he wanted to hear what the dream was. She said, I, she said, this was such an unusual dream. She said, I dreamed I showed up at your church and I was completely naked. He said, I'm going to tell you what the dream means. He said, you floated around and you've hid your sin in every other church around here. You've been able to cover for the person that you are, thinking nobody knows. But you've shown up at a place where nothing is going to be hidden. And all of your sin is going to be exposed. Well, that's the last time she visited that church. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is saying. And listen to me, saints of God. If we keep reading, which we intend to do, it's not because God hates us that He does this. It's because He loves us. The worst thing that could happen is for Him to let us continue to cover our sin. And so when you go to a truly biblical church, truly apostolic church, don't be surprised if the preacher preaches to you once in a while. addresses what's going on in your life. And instead of looking around and saying, who told him, who told him? You need to look up and say, okay, Lord, I got it. I'll fix it. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for loving me enough to deal with it. See, there are three conditions. When it comes to clothing, there are three conditions that are discussed in Scripture, there is, first of all, spiritual nakedness. That is a state of shame and dishonor. It's a, it's a state of absolute sin that man generally tries to cover. We see that in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, they wanted to try to cover themselves. But their efforts were not sufficient. Then the second is to be covered with our own attempts, which again we see with Adam and Eve, and that is to be covered in filthy rags. Isaiah 4, uh, 64 verse 6, Isaiah 64 verse 6 talks about how all of our righteousness is filthy rags. And when we try to correct things ourselves, we try to fix things ourselves, we try to cover things ourselves, the best we're doing is putting on black garments. Black representing sin. That's the best effort that we have. But then the third condition is to be clothed in white garments. And you'd be surprised. I don't have time tonight 
But you'd be surprised at how many times white garments are referred to throughout the Scripture. There is a symbolism here. When we are truly righteous through the blood of the Lamb, then the righteousness of God starts working through us. And that's what these white robes symbolize. Not the righteousness of man, but the righteousness of God. See, the first two conditions are errors we can fall into. We can enter into sin and be totally naked before God. We cannot live righteously or try to live righteously through our own abilities and be clothed with filthy garments. Both of these are errors. The only way we can truly be righteous is through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't ever forget that's why it's called Holy Ghost. This is why we should never try to tell people. You know, people come to church and and I've seen it happen so many times. Well-meaning saints pull people aside, say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to dress this way, you need to do, you need to change it. Stop. Stop. If you try to do that, all you're going to do is get them to clothe themselves with filthy rags. Let the righteousness of God come into their life. And then they're going to start feeling conviction. Let the Word of God speak and convict their hearts. And then the third thing he said, let's, let's read Revelation 3.18 again. The third thing he said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine and eyes. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Now, again, this is a reference to the fact that they created this eye salve. They had come up with something that was sought after. Evidently, it helped. But the Lord says, I've got an eye salve that you need. Because spiritually, you're blind. The way you see yourself is not the way I see you. And so you've got to anoint your eyes with this eye salve so you can get God's perspective. You know, let, let, me, let me just throw this out there, church, and I know my time is slipping away and I've still got a couple of pages here. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping, trusting I can get enough done that we can finish this tonight. But, but it's interesting, if you go back and start reading the book of Isaiah, in chapters 1 through 5 of Isaiah, he's saying, woe to this nation, and woe to that people, and woe to this one, and woe to that one. And I mean, he's pronouncing judgments to everybody for five solid chapters. And then in chapter 6, it opens with the words, and in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and lifted up. 
And his train filled the temple. And he talked about seeing those creatures encircling the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy. And then you know what Isaiah said? Woe is me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that, isn't that amazing, Brother Larson, that, that, that this prophet was prophesying against everybody else until he got a vision of God and His holiness. And then Isaiah said, um, there's some things in me I need to change. There's some things about me I need to fix. Isaiah suddenly saw himself the way God saw him. See, if you get a clear enough vision of God, you'll get God's vision of you. Want me to prove that to you? Jesus said, whom say ye that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ. Jesus said, yes, and you are Peter. That's interesting. Because Peter got a revelation of who Jesus was. And so Peter gave him a revelation, or Jesus gave Peter a revelation of who Peter was. See, Peter was not really his name. His name was Simon. But Jesus called him Peter, which meant a rock. Simon meant, meant um, undecided. He was a man that, you know, he could go either way with, with things and, and just kind of follow the feel of the moment. And we saw him do that time and again. But Jesus said, I, I see something else in you. I see you as a rock. Now, when he lost that vision just a few moments later, and Jesus said, I'm going to have to go and, and suffer some things. And Peter said, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Jesus turned to Peter then and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. Listen, when we get a vision of God, God will give us His vision of us. And if we lose that vision of God, the next time God sees us, it may not be quite the same. Laodicea, you need to anoint your eyes with eye salve. Listen, Matthew 6, verses 22 to 23. I've got to hurry through this. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now this is, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this scripture in an upcoming lesson uh, Some weeks from now, who knows when, but we will deal with this scripture. But it's just important for us to know that, that 
what we see has an impact on what we become. The Old Testament says it this way, mine eye affecteth not. My eye affects my heart. And so when you don't have the right perspective, your heart's not going to be right. And that's why Jesus said, anoint your eyes. Now let's move on. I've got to hurry. Verse 19, what did he say to them? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And so he says to them, you need to accept the chastening that I offer. He has said some really hard things leading up to this. Has he not? And he's come across really harsh. But he says to them, I'm doing this because I love you. Hebrews 12 and 6 confirms this. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. In fact, you can read, the author of Hebrews said that if God doesn't chasten you, you're really not God's son at all. You're illegitimate. Read it. Uses a stronger term than illegitimate. Makes the point very clear. That if God doesn't chasten you, if there's never a time that God rebukes you, it's because you are not really His son. So whom He loves, He chastens. Now, I will tell you this, and, and I don't know that I understand fully all of this, I don't like the implication, I'll tell you that. But we talked about the terms for love in the Greek, the term agape. We've discussed that many times. And when God spoke to Philadelphia and told them that he loved them, he used agape, this sacrificial love. This deep, enduring love. But when he spoke to Laodicea, when he used the word love, it was not agape. It was phileo. A brotherly love. Now again, I'm not going to try to explain that. I'm just going to let you chew on it. I'm just telling you, God did love him. But for him to not use agape when he's talking to them was pretty severe. Oh, it's so quiet to me. So he says, let's read verse 19 again, Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Uh -huh. Be zealous, be therefore. Be zealous, be zealous, therefore. And repent. All right, now, he said be zealous. This word zealous is from the same Greek root word as zestos or hot. But the word zealous means warm up. 
Now, they're lukewarm now. But he's saying you need to build the fire. You're a long way from where you need to be, and you need to get the fires burning. Now, what fire do we receive as children of God? The Holy Ghost. That's what he's saying to them. It's time for a good old-fashioned refilling. Acts 4 and 1 even talks about the disciples. I've got to hurry. We won't read it. But even the disciples, when they found themselves worried about what was going to happen to them, they went back and prayed, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Even they had to get filled again. We are making a dire mistake if we think we can live very long without being refilled with the Holy Ghost. We've got to keep the fire burning. So he said, be zealous, therefore. Read verse 19 again. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And repent. This word repent means to make an about face, to turn around. It literally means to think differently, to reconsider. Now, I would remind you, the Lord is speaking to a church, not to sinners. He's not telling sinners to repent. He's telling church people to repent. Because there are times when even we as the children of God need to find an altar of repentance. Acts 3.19, I've got to really pick up the pace. Acts 3.19. Repent therefore repent and be converted. And be converted. your sins may be blotted out. Uh-huh. When the times wait a minute, wait a minute. When the what? When the times when of the what? Times. When the times, plural, yes. of refreshing shall come, shall come from the, presence, from of the, the presence of the Lord. There need to be multiple times of refreshing in our life. Not just one experience and we hang on to that the rest of our life. We need times of refreshing. I want to challenge you tonight, saint of God. How long has it been since you prayed through? How long has it been since you've had a good old time of repentance with tears streaming down your face? How long has it been? Don't let it be too long. Don't let it go too long. Repent. 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins. This is not written to sinners. This is not written to sinners. 1 John is not written to sinners. If we, everyone say we. That's all of us. If we. Confess our sins. He is faithful, He's and, faithful just and just to forgive, our sins to forgive us our and, sins. And to cleanse, and to cleanse us, from, us all unrighteousness. from all unrighteousness. we got to have those times of repentance too. Now, verse 20. Let's move on. Verse 20 is a verse that's preached all the time to sinners. It's not spoken to sinners. It's not written for sinners. Read Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Oh, there's some things here that, that I need to talk about, and I really am trying to get down to this close. Give me just a few more minutes. First of all, notice that Laodicea had become so spiritually sick that the Lord was no longer inside the church. He was standing outside knocking, asking to get in. They had shut him out. Now, I, I want, sister, if you would put that verse back up there again. Put verse 20 up there again. Because this may be something you've never noticed before. But I want to show you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And we'll sup with him and he with me. You know, it almost sounds like he didn't really expect the whole church to do this. Do you see that? It, it doesn't sound, Brother Hilton, to me like he's expecting all of Laodicea to open the door. But he is saying to those of you that don't have any choice. See, back in those days, there weren't Christian churches on every corner. Back then, if you didn't go to this church, you didn't go to church. That's the way it was done back then. You didn't have a competing church across town willing to take in people. People don't have to backslide anymore. They just change churches. And you didn't, you didn't find that. And again, please don't misread what I'm saying. There are times it has to happen. There are times. Please don't make me qualify everything. But I'm just saying there weren't an abundance of churches. And people didn't have the option. And so they didn't want to just get in the world. So they keep going there. To that same church. But I find it interesting that God, God, it doesn't seem to me, expected this church to turn around. But he did give hope to any individual that was there. That if the things that I've said to you mean anything at all, if you will open the door. I'll come to you. I may not be invited back into the church, but I will come back to you. Mm -hmm. And I will sup with you. Mm. Amen. I'll have a relationship with you, right. whether the church wants me or not. Listen, we have to learn to hear the voice of God. Because he started out writing to the angel of the church. 
This is a message for the whole church to be directed to the messenger, but so everybody can hear. But he gets down now, he's about to close, and he said, by the way, if there's any individuals that are listening, you don't have to wait on the rest of the church to turn around. You know, years ago I was pastoring in a place, Elder D.C. Moody, some of you have heard me talk about it, great man of God, a man I really considered to be a true prophet. He would not like hearing me say that, but, but I consider him a true prophet. He came to preach for me, and he preached judgment to that place. I'm telling you, he evermore pronounced judgment. One night, he asked to see me in the office, and I went in, and he said, Brother Reagan, I want to tell you something. God gave me a vision of this church. He said, what I saw was a green tree, but he said, every leaf on the tree was dead. Every leaf. Well, that's kind of disheartening. That doesn't leave a whole lot of hope. Well, he came back to me again, and he said, the Lord said to me that if he could find just three men, that would stand with him. He'd turn things around. Just three out of a church of about 200. Just three. I'm telling you, God's looking for individuals that will listen to him. He really doesn't deal with crowds. He deals with people. This is why we got to be careful, and I, I don't want to get too, and, and I know I'm already over time, so I've got it, I can't, but you know, one of the problems with church organizations, they get up and talk about how God's really blessing this organization right now. God doesn't bless organizations. He blesses individuals. I've known people who said, oh, God, deal with this organization. God, turn this organization around. God doesn't deal with organizations. God deals with individuals. God knocks at the door of hearts, and no organization has a heart. God deals with individuals. That's not saying that organizations can't be used. I'm, please, again, don't make me qualify that. I'm just saying that God doesn't deal with groups. God deals with individuals. And even with this church, if this church is going to see revival, you know how it's going to see revival? Because individuals experience revival. That's how it happens. It comes through people. You want to see us have a revival? Start having one yourself. Let God revive you. And as He revives you and you and you and you, you know what happens? The church feels the revival. 
The church enjoys the revival. But it's a revival of individuals. No, we've got to get this concept, saints. Because we pray, oh God, send revival to our church. Send revival to our church. That's the wrong prayer. Our prayer should be, God, send revival to my heart. God, send revival to my family. That's how the church will have revival. All right, I've, I've got to hurry. We're, we're, we really are nearly done. We're nearly done. We've got to learn to hear the voice of God. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And, and we've got to learn to hear his voice. It's interesting that God opened a door to Philadelphia, which no man could shut. But Laodicea shut the door of their hearts. And because they shut it, no one but them could open it. Well, hallelujah. Did you get that? Yes, sir. God opened the door to Philadelphia. And he said, nobody can shut it. Right. But Laodicea shut the door. And Jesus would not open it. They had to open it. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The call is to you as an individual. I want to see revival in the truth church. I want to see revival in the truth church. Now, this should be getting a better response than it's getting... I want to see revival in the truth church. But you know how I'm going to see it? By having revival in my life. And you having a revival in your life. And those around you having a revival in their lives. This is the key, church. This is what, if we don't take anything else out of this study of Laodicea, this is the principle we've got to take out of it, that we have the opportunity. It's up to us. If there's going to be revival here, I've got to have it in my heart. Right. Amen. You want to know why we had such a great revival with Brother Savala? It's because he connected with individuals, and individuals started having revival. Can you testify to the fact things changed in your life? You experienced a personal revival. You want to see it go deeper? Have more of a personal revival. And it'll happen. The closing, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in the throne. I'm going to let him sit with me in the throne, in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Yes. Yes, and so every church was, was promised a different aspect of reward if they would overcome. To him that overcometh. You see that throughout all of these letters. And there was some kind of promise that was made to each church. In this case, you're going to sit with me in my throne. 
I'm going to put you in a place of real prominence if you will overcome. But you see, there's a lot for Laodicea to overcome. They've got to overcome their pride. They've got to overcome their obstinance. They've got to overcome their self-will. They've got to overcome their lack of submission. There's a lot for them to overcome. They've got to start putting their trust in God rather than riches. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 how hardly a rich man was going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the disciples wondered, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible, with God all things are possible. The key is we've got to learn to rely on God rather than ourselves. And so then he says, to him that hath an ear. And I think I forgot to put that verse down. That's verse 22, by the way, of Revelation Chapter 3, can you get that for me real quick? Revelation 3 and verse 22. I don't know how I failed to put that verse in here, but I did. Revelation 3, verse 22. He that hath an ear, he that hath an ear let him hear let what the Spirit hear saith unto the what churches. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, again, I would just point out to you, it was to the churches. Every church was to hear what was said in each of these letters, including the letter to Laodicea. And the Lord was warning even Philadelphia. Even Philadelphia needed to hear the warning that was given to Laodicea. Because Philadelphia could very easily turn into Laodicea if they didn't continue. Do what God wanted. And so he made this plea. Musicians come. He made this plea. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Again, he, an individual. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. What he's saying is, don't be like Israel of old. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11 but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. And so that's the way Israel used to be. And the Lord is pleading with each and every individual in each and every church, don't be like they were. Instead, we need to hear the words of James, and I close with this, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Mm -hmm. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This really sums it all up. In fact, it sums up everything that I've taught in each one of these lessons. Let's not just be a hearer, but let's be doers. Let's put into practice the things that God commended, and let's do everything in our power to avoid the things God commended. 
there's a great and effectual door that's open for us if we'll pursue the promises of God and start seeking for a personal revival. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord, everybody.